Excellent, thank you. Well, it's good to be here again. Um, I always like coming out to the project. Um, Pete, I really do wish that it was just about positive thinking and putting your words out there. <laughs> because then the Wallabies might finally win a Bledisloe Cup. I've prayed and that doesn't work either, so I don't know. <laughs> Open to suggestions. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be here and, uh, and to continue on in uh, Hebrews, which you've been going through uh, this year. I, uh, Hebrews is one of those interesting books. It's an interesting book. Who's, who's enjoying it? Okay, now, this is, uh, you have to answer this one honestly. Who, who's struggling a little bit through Hebrews? Yeah. yeah. Hebrews is one of those books that I find, it's an amazing book, but it is a little repetitive, don't you think? Uh, am I the only one that thinks that, or do you think it is as well? It's okay. It is a little repetitive. And at times you kind of look at it, and you look at it, and look at it, and it takes a little while for it to kind of um, make any kind of sense, and you're wondering what's going on here, and it all seems kind of out there. And uh, the passage that we're going to look at this morning is a little bit like that. It's, it's a little repetitive. Um, it's actually a transition passage between one thought and the next thought. Um, and so, so it is important for us to kind of get that and to understand it. So what I'd, I'm not going to do this morning, I'm not going to go through it verse by verse and try to pull all the stuff out of it because I think we'd probably miss the power of it if we did that. Sometimes we can... Um, I mean, the, the, the kind of technical term for, for looking at Scripture that way is called exegesis. You heard that? And I remember somebody saying to me years ago that the problem with exegesis, if you take it too far, it becomes exegesis. And, um, and it kind of does. You can kind of do it to death, and we kind of go, oh, I'm not really sure what it is. There's a time and a place for that. Uh, but this morning, I want to look at the passage, um, kind of say, well, what does this actually passage, what does it say? then take a step back and go, how does it fit into the context of the book? Because I think the real power of any passage in Hebrews is seeing it within its context. Um, each passage on its own is good, but when you see it within its context, it takes on a whole different power and emphasis. And so we'll do that. And then I just want to uh, look at a couple of um, just my own personal uh, situations right now and, and kind of talk a little bit, well, how, how do I find application from Hebrews in my own life? What, what does that look like? Um, so, just to, just to begin, uh, Hebrews, um, okay, who's, are you actually reading through Hebrews yourself, or are you just kind of turning up and having someone preach on it? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> okay. Um, Hebrews, sometimes when you read through it, okay, uh, it's hard to make direct application to your own life. You know, you're sitting there having your quiet time in the morning and you're reading there, uh, here's Jesus and he's the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, thank you, Lord. I just needed to hear that today. <laughs> and you, you head off into town and you do your thing, whatever you're doing, go to work, and you're just thinking, order of Melchizedek. I tell you what, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't get through today. Okay, it's not quite that kind of book, is it? It's kind of some stuff out there. You just go, oh, I don't really know where that fits. How does it apply to me? Um, but I want to kind of put out there, and I'm sure it's been put out there every time someone's preached from Hebrews. Hebrews is not about theology. It's about application. Okay? It is not a theological kind of um, paper that was written by somebody in the first century to say, this is what I believe, and put it out there like we would a... Uh, a paper these days to be peer-reviewed and published somewhere. That's, that's not what it is. Okay? And, and we've, you've probably heard me say it a couple of times when I've come here to talk about Hebrews. 
Hebrews was written to a bunch of Jewish Christians who were going through some persecution, a really, really difficult time, and probably what made it more challenging for them was not that they were being persecuted, but it looked as if they would be in the future. Okay? So it's one thing to be going through it right now. It's another thing to know it's coming. And, uh, and that's the situation. And so when the writer of Hebrews writes to them, it's not to say, here I am, I'm publishing what I believe you might be interested. It's to say, you need to hear this because this will get you through this period of your life. It's a little bit different, isn't it? Okay? And so if we approach Hebrews from the point of view of it's good theology, we'll miss the power of it. If we approach it from the point of view is I have to hear this because I've got to get through this next period of my life, it actually makes a big difference to us. But then we need to ask the question, how does understanding that Jesus is the great high priest through the order of Melchizedek, how does that help me get through this next period of my life? Because quite frankly, I don't see it. Okay, if that, that's where most of us would sit. That's where I would sit um, without having the opportunity to really, to really look at it and try and, and, and take it all in. Okay, so you kinda, you're with me on that? So what I want to do today is say, okay, what does it say? And then we're going to look at, well, how does that work? What's that look like? What, what's the meaning of all of that? And hopefully um, by the end of that, you'll have a little bit of a, an understanding. Okay, so as I mentioned, and we'll read it in a moment, this is a transition passage. So it's a transition uh, from um, one thought to another thought. So up until this point, so it's Hebrews 8, verses 1 to 6, up until this point, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus. And basically, if someone says to you, what's Hebrews about? You can just say it's about Jesus is better. That's what it's about, Jesus is better. Okay, so specifically he says Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, He's better than the high priest because um, he's of the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so Jesus is better. Everything about Jesus is better. And, and to put it into context, they're Jewish Christians, so these things make sense to the Jews. Angels, Moses, the law, um, Melchizedek, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's who they are. Okay? So the writer is saying Jesus is better than all of those things. And then he goes on after this passage and... Um, and basically says, look, if Jesus is better than all of these things, that has implications. So the covenant which Jesus came to bring, well, that's better too. That's far superior to the old covenant. The promises that are associated with Jesus' life and ministry, uh, his death and resurrection, his ascension to heaven, those promises are far more valuable than the promises that you had under the old covenant. Therefore, it will change the way that you live. Okay, that, that's the point of it. The point of it is not just to give them information to go, okay, now we know this stuff, we know why we're being persecuted. The point is to say, when you understand this, when you have a revelation of this, you can actually survive what's coming. Now, do you want, do you want to survive what's coming? Now, I'm not here as a prophet of doom, but let me tell you. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what's coming. I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. Okay? But what I do know is that if we get into our hearts what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them in the first century, I am convinced that we will also have what we need to survive, but not only to survive, to be victorious in what's coming. And that's, that's what we need to know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. don't know what happens financially. We don't know what happens in the election. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with family. We don't know what's going to happen with our job, our house, or whatever. We don't know. He does, and there's something in here that will help us to get through whatever's going to happen in the future. Okay, that's cool, huh? 
Well, I think it is. Anyway, so, oh well, I guess I'll get the recording and encourage myself later on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me read it. Sorry, I, yeah, let me read it. Okay, so it's Hebrews chapter 8 and uh, 1 to 6, and I'm reading from the NIV. Okay, it's a nearly infallible version. All right, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the, ma- of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest for there are already men who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry of Jesus, sorry, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. All right? So it begins with this this, this um, uh, phrase, and, it, and this phrase is kind of a, a pointer. So you need to notice these kinds of phrases in the scripture. The point of what we are saying is this. All right? So what is he saying? So up until this point, what's he been saying? He's talking about Jesus is a better... He's better than Moses. He's a better than the angels. He's a better high priest. He's a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Okay? He's a high priest of a new covenant. So, so the point of what we are saying is this. All right? So already we know that what the author is doing now, he's saying now all of this that I've just said comes down to this, this little thing. Okay? So when you're talking to your kids and you, you say all these things, but most of it's probably completely irrelevant to them. You say, now the point really is this. Don't do that, okay? Or do that, um, okay? That's what's happening here, okay? The point of all this is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by men. So what's the point? The author has gone through uh, great pains and, and a little bit tedious to us to establish for them that Jesus is not like the priesthood that they know. They have a priesthood. It was given to them by God. It, it came from the line of the Levites. It functions in the tabernacle and later on in the temple, which from the context, there must be some of that still happening, still functioning. So maybe it's before uh, 70 AD when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. All of that is still happening. There's still priests offering sacrifices, but he's saying Jesus is not one of them. He's different than one of them. He's far superior than one of them. His sacrifice that he offered is, is a once and for all deal. He doesn't need to keep killing all these animals. He doesn't need to do that anymore. He doesn't need to be restricted and go into the Holy of Holies once a year. He, can, he, he lives there. <laughs> and he intercedes for us daily in that place. So Jesus is not like one of them. But see, the point is not to say there's this great high priest and there's a great mediator. Jesus is wonderful. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there is a great high priest and he's yours. He's yours. If you're in trouble with the law and you're going to court 
and it seems like the whole world is kind of collapsing around you and you think, how am I going to get around this? And you read about some exceptional lawyer who can just get anybody out of any particular problem. Do you go, hooray, there's a lawyer out there? Well, not necessarily. I'd go, hooray, if he was my lawyer. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to know he's there. It's another thing to know he's representing me. That he walks in the door and goes, yes. Okay, and that's what the author's trying to say. It's not just that Jesus is this great high priest who, who's in the presence of the Father, day in, day out, offering intercession for us on the basis of the sacrifice that he's made once and for all that's covered all of our sin forever. He's saying that high priest is your high priest. Yeah, that's still operating. Yeah, there's still priests killing animals and doing all that kind of stuff. That's not your priest. This is your priest. And it's a far better setup and system and promise than the one that you had before. All right, so that, that, that's what he's trying to say. It's not just that there's a great high priest, it's that you have a great high priest. Okay, he's yours. Um, okay, and this is, this is where it becomes a bit of a, um, a challenge for them. So, money. Anyone want some money? You want some? Yeah, 10 bucks. Anyone else want some? Yeah, 10 bucks for you as well. Cool. All right. Now, does that make you feel good that I've given you money? Yeah? Yeah, the benefits of living in a front row. So I've given you... Is that, is that cool, though? Yeah, I mean, how many preachers come in here and give away money? They ask for it, mostly. Yeah. But see, here's the problem is that, as nice as that is, that would be better, wouldn't it? What would you rather have? Yeah, this one. Okay, well, see, it's not happening, see? <laughs> because as much as I'd like to be like Jesus, I'm not there yet. <laughs> you see, that, this, is, this is what's going on in, in Hebrews. Is, um, basically, the author is saying to them, is, you've got that. That's what you've got. See, when God spoke to Moses way back in the Old Testament in Exodus, and he went up on the mountain, he, he gave him very clear instructions. Now, a little bit too clear in my mind, okay? If you read through it, you build this and it's this long and that wide with this weight and this thing and bigger that thing. goes on and on and on, okay? And, okay, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I find that kind of stuff really hard to get into, okay? But it's there. And there's this, you must do it this way. You must do it according to the plan. And you go, okay? And, and off they go, go and they do it and they do it all according to plan. That's all good and well. But what the, the, the author is saying here is that God said you must do it this way for a reason. Okay, let me, let me change the analogy for a way that, um, okay, I, I'm, don't do this at home, okay? Let me just qualify that first. If you wanted to make counterfeit money, <laughs> if I walked into um, McDonald's today with that, Happy Meal, Whack it down on the counter. What would happen? Huh? Yeah, they'd probably start laughing. It's some kind of joke. Because it doesn't look like the real thing. It's, it's, kind of, it's a bit rubbish, to be honest. Okay? But, if I, but if I was making counterfeit money and it really did look like the real thing, you, well, if I wanted it to work, it would have to look real, wouldn't it? Okay? In order for it to, look, to, to kind of have any kind of influence. Right? So, so God says to the Israelites and to Moses, when you make the temple and the tabernacle and the priesthood and all this kind of stuff, he gives them very clear instructions. Why? Because it has to look like the real thing. 
It has to represent something that's actually far better. I mean, would you rather have a fake one that looked exactly like that or the real one? The real one, I hope. Okay? But see, every analogy has difficulties, so don't take it too far. Okay, but, but what I'm saying is, is that that's what the writer here is saying. He said, God gave you something. He said, copy it, do it exactly the way I say. Why? Because it's a copy of something that's coming and it needs to be done well. That's why he went to great pains to say, don't, don't shortcut building the tabernacle. Do it this way and have it exactly right because it's a copy of something that's coming that is far superior. But the problem is that they, they liked the copy. I mean, God did give it to them. So it had some power and it had some, um, a place in their life which was significant. Okay? But when the real thing comes, we become comfortable with the old. And it's a little bit hard to let go of it to get the new. Okay? And, and that's what's going on in Hebrews. Is the writer saying to them, look, what you have served its purpose. Okay? And God always gave it knowing that eventually the real thing would come and the old thing would be superseded and the new thing would be here, which is far superior in every way and it will, it will be all that you need for all circumstances for all time. That's pretty cool. Clearly, the Old Testament way of doing things was not for all circumstances for all time because they kept having to sacrifice there. You didn't just go in and offer a sacrifice when you were a baby and that was good for the rest of your life. You had to go year after year after year. Okay? But now we don't because the old has been superseded by the new and the new is far superior. So don't go back to the old. That's the story of Hebrews. Okay? And that, that's what the author is trying to get at. All right. So you, kinda, you get that picture. So that's why it says in here... Um, uh, so, verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy, that's the, the Levitical priesthood, and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. You kind of get the picture there? That the old thing was important, they had to do it right because it was a copy of the real thing which was coming. Okay? That's why, uh, to be perfectly blunt, I don't buy into the rebuilding of the temple and all that kind of stuff. That's gone, that's superseded. Jesus has, has fulfilled all of that. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't go back there. That was for a, a moment. Okay? Jesus is forever. Okay? The temple is not a physical building anymore. Okay? All right. So let's, um, let's look at context now because I think the power of this um, is in looking at it uh, within its context. All right, so just, just kind of, this is the flow okay, of, of thought from Hebrews. Jesus is a superior high priest. In fact, he's perfect. He's a perfect high priest. Just summarize the first seven chapters. He, he's perfect. He's much better than the old way. Therefore, the covenant or the promises that he mediates are far superior. In fact, they're perfect as well. Okay? So the thought continues. So he's a better priest, better promises, better covenant. And then it goes on and it talks about how his sacrifice was superior. In fact, it was perfect. So they kill day after day after day. Jesus doesn't. He gave his own life once and for all. He doesn't have to die again. And then it goes on, chapter 10, and it says this, Therefore, let us 
Five things. Consider how we may draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us consider how we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Consider how we may not give up meeting together and how we may encourage one another. Okay, so now it's getting really practical. So the writer of Hebrews has, has laid down this theological foundation. You have this great high priest. You are part of the new covenant. Things have changed. You, you've now got Jesus that you can come to. What does that mean? Well, this is, how, this is what it means. It means that you can draw near to God with a sincere heart, full of assurance. Okay? Now, the old high priest, he could go into the holy place and approach God once a year. But not us. Jesus is on the cross, what happens? The curtain is torn in two. So now there's access to the, to, to the presence of God. We don't need sacrifices day after day. We can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't conquered by death or sin or brokenness or the world, but he overcame the world. And therefore we have hope. What's it say? Jesus was the firstborn of all those who would rise from the dead. So our hope is that eventually... That, that we, we will experience what he's experienced, the transformation of our bodies and our world into something that truly reflects his glory. So we can consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Okay, now just remember what the context of this is. It's of suffering and of a coming suffering. But because we have this high priest, this approachable Jesus, we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. We don't give up. We don't stop because it's too hard. We don't go back to some form of tradition. We continue to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We don't give up meeting together. Okay, we don't scatter and just kind of find our own, our own little place and isolate ourselves. No, we, we keep going. We keep pressing in. We keep gathering. We keep pulling in together and holding our shields up for one another. Okay? That, that's what it's talking about. And we encourage one another. All right, so you're kind of following along. So, theological foundation, this is who he is, and, and this is who he is for you. He's your high priest, you can approach him, and therefore this is how it informs how you live your life. Okay? This, this is what it's all about. But then it's interesting, it takes a, a, a turn that you probably wouldn't expect. Where, where does it, what happens after Hebrews 10? Hebrews 11. Okay? And it's this, you know what Hebrews 11 is? It's this great chapter on faith. Okay? It's an awesome chapter. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Okay? So there's this introduction. It's gone through all of this. So let us, let us live this way because of who Jesus is. Let us encourage one another. And then it goes, so faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for goes through. This is what all these guys did, the Moseses and the Abrahams and the Enochs and the da 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 Lots of people. And I won't go through it because many of you would know a lot of those stories. Now, this is how it ends. Okay, this is fascinating. So the last couple of verses of chapter 11. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them. Is there an amen out there? <laughs> Uh, God had planned something better for them? No. That's not what it says. It's interesting. It says, they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
So what, that, what, what is that saying? What's that all about? That here are all these guys being commended for their faith, that hung in there, that, that fought the good fight, that didn't give up, that believed in God. And many of them were deeply flawed and broken and made mistakes and totally screwed their lives. But they continued to believe in God and, and, and they're now listed here as the great men and women of faith. But they didn't receive what that was promised. Now what was promised? What was promised? Because Abraham, okay, he had a son. Moses, yeah, he came out of Egypt. So what was promised that they didn't receive? Okay, through all you, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And another way of, of looking at that is would be the kingdom of Jesus. That's what they look forward to. That's the city that Abraham, the New Testament language would say, that's the city he looked forward to. The, new, the other language for it is the New Jerusalem. This, this new heavenly city that's not a physical city, okay, but, but it's a place where, where Jesus dwells. It's where the kingdom of God is. That's where, it's what we are citizens of. Okay? Now, that's all a bit kind of out there and um, ethereal, but hang on for a second. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. So there's this great chapter of faith, but they didn't receive what was promised. We received it. That is completely unfair. Okay, they hung in there through all this suffering and pain and, and, and confusion and they didn't receive what was promised, but we have. We have. We, we, we have it now. We're part of it now. So where does it go from here? Well, it goes into chapter 12. Isn't that funny? Um, it goes in and starts talking about suffering. And who does it begin with? Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, suffered. Okay, so this is Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus suffered. And then it goes on and talks about suffering in general. And it says, suffering is God's way of confirming sonship. He loves those whom he disciplines. Or he disciplines those whom he loves. Okay? All right, so hey, stick with me and we'll tie it all together in a moment. All right? So, so these are great men of faith that suffered, didn't receive what was promised. We have received what was promised to them. Even Jesus suffered. We suffer too. And it's a sign that God loves us as a father and he's disciplining us. Okay? And then, um, then it says this. This is at the end of chapter 12. And I just want to read it from verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, you probably hear that and go, uh, what is that all about? But, but what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, okay, and so again, put yourself back in the first century. You're a Jew, you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus. Things are tough. People have died and you may well die in the future, but you're not sure what the future holds. What are you a part of? Oh, a new Jerusalem, a heavenly city where we'll stand before God as judge. Not the Romans, not the Jewish leaders anymore, not the leaders of the temple. We'll stand before God, the righteous judge. And that's not a thing of fear, that's a thing of comfort for those who believe in him. It's the new Jerusalem where the names are written in the book of, the book of heaven. You kind of hear what, what the author's trying to say? 
He's actually painting a picture of their current reality, but in language they probably weren't relating to at the time. Because if our, our, our reality is defined by the circumstances around us rather than the reality of what Jesus has done, okay, then suffering takes on a whole different meaning. All right? Okay. Stick with me. We're almost through this part. Okay. All right. So let me summarize. Jesus is better than all these things. He's a better high priest. Therefore, he's got a better covenant, better promises. Therefore, um, uh, we can live our lives a different way. The old is gone, the new has come. So therefore, we can approach God with boldness, approach him with full assurance. We can be full of hope. We can keep meeting together. We can encourage one another. Okay? The great men of faith, they believed and they hung in there. They didn't give up. And they didn't receive what was promised. But hey, we have received what's promised. The Hebrews and us, we have received it. That's great. You know what? Jesus suffered. And suffering is actually a sign that we are sons of God. And why is it a sign that we're sons of God? Because we're part of something that's very new. You are not just Jews anymore. You're not just part of the Roman Empire anymore. You're citizens of a new Jerusalem with a priest who sits at the right hand of God and mediates and, and, and intercedes for us 24-7. And you know what? You don't have to wait once a year to approach him. You can come any time you like. And you think that that Old Testament system is very kind of real with all its sacrifices and buildings and blocks? Well, this is far more real than that because this was not made by human hands. This was made by God himself. Okay? And that is your reality. You, you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, suffering might well come, but don't, don't give up suffering, which is a sign of sonship, to go back to something which is a fake, when you can have the real thing because you're part of something that's far more superior than what you had before. That, that, that's, that's the purpose of the book of Hebrews. Okay? That, that's what he's trying to communicate to them. Now, that's cool, but so what? What about us? Where does that leave us? Okay? Because the truth is, we suffer too. And your suffering and my suffering will be defined by what citizenship you have. Okay? And I don't mean Australian, American, British, New Zealand, whatever. But what citizenship do you have? If you're an Aussie first and you're going through financial suffering, that's not cool. What about the good life? What about my possessions? What about good retirement? What about the, the dream of turning 70 and heading off around the country and spending the kids' inheritance? Anxiety, worry. But if you're a citizen of heaven and you're going through suffering, that has a whole different meaning, does it not? Oh, absolutely, a whole different meaning. If things are falling apart all around you and you're a citizen of heaven... What do you do to deal with your anxiety? Well, you actually have a great high priest who's available 24-7. You don't have to go back to some form or tradition or some kind of deal to try and sort things out. No, you can come to Jesus right now and have him intercede and mediate and appropriate his promises on our behalf. Okay? Life might suck. It might be really hard. But you know what? Jesus' life was just like that. It is a sign of sonship to suffer and to go through hardship. If you've never suffered and gone through hardship, um, 
okay, I'll speak for myself. Without suffering and hardship, sonship would be a very hard concept to understand. Okay, now, you go, hey man, bring it on. Okay, it's not like that. Okay, but it is real, isn't it? Okay, let me um, throw a, few, a bit of personal experience uh, out there at the moment. And, um, because I think uh, this, this very much comes out of where I sit right now. So it's not just some teaching. Actually, this is where I sit right now. This is some of the revelation I'm getting right now. Um, I'll, I'll do a corporate thing and then I'll bring it down to something personal. Um, some of you may be aware, um, some of you may not, that we're going through some pretty major challenges at TCC at the moment in the church. Um, we announced about a month ago that uh, our budget for 2013 um, is significantly down on the income end of the scale. Um, and, and what it means is that come the end of the year, uh, many of the things that we do as a church will cease to happen. Okay, that, that's, that's the cold, hard reality of it. We will be, we, this, for this year, we will be down at least about 30 to 40% on our budget, and in the next year, probably up to 60%, the way things stand at the moment. Which means that all the ministries, like you know, the City Women and the Bella Magazine and all the missions and stuff that we support, we have no money to do all of that. Okay? Which means a lot of the staff okay, may not have jobs. All right. Now, that, that is the reality. That is where we sit. And at the moment, there's no, no alternative. We haven't found another source of income. All right? And um, it's a fascinating place to be. Uh, and, and you know what? It's a great place to be because we're really finding God in that and think God has something new for us. And that's, that's cool. Okay? But it does make you ask some questions. Like, oh, God, <laughs> what are we going to do next year? Okay? And those are good questions to ask. But in some respects, for some people, it's, it's a thing of impending suffering. Okay, I'm not saying anyone's walking around and going, oh, no, what's going to happen? It's not like that. But you think through the future and you have to ask the question, what is going to happen? Okay, this is a major challenge. Even though God is clearly leading us this way and, and we understand that it's not just that the income's dried up, that God's turned the taps off. For whatever reason, okay, turn the taps off. That's the reality. What are we going to do about it? Well, you know what? We could do worse than to approach the throne of grace with full assurance and full hope. That is a great place to start. To keep meeting together. To encourage one another. To recognize that the greats of faith died without receiving the promise. But regardless of whether we have cash, whether we have a job, whether business is going well, whether all of these great things are still happening, regardless of all of that, you know what we do have? Sonship. We have sonship. We have a father. We have a, a great high priest. It's not just of the order of Melchizedek, some theological thing. We have a guy that we can go to right now and say, Jesus, I am destitute. I need you to intercede for me. I need you to break through for me. I need you to come into my situation. And he is completely approachable right now. They did not have that before Jesus came. There was a system that they went through and traditions. And was God available? Yeah, absolutely. But it was different. Well, see, we've received that promise. And that's amazing. Um, let, let me bring that down to a more personal level. And um, uh, just having gone through a season and going through a season of, of real, um, well, it's been intense, intense 
time of just really need to see God break through and to meet God and some challenges that have been way out of my league. Things I just, I can't handle them. I'm going, God, what is going on? Okay, and it's been like that for quite a while now and I've never been so challenged personally ever um, as this particular season. And, and there are days just go, God, I don't know what's going on. I just don't know what's going on. Um, it's at those moments, the thing that I've learned and I'm so grateful for is um, I've gone back to, to the way Jesus taught us to pray. So let me just read it because I think there's a key for us in here that parallels Hebrews. So Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray and this is what he says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we, have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Now, uh, it's amazing how such a small prayer can say so much. Okay, but it does. So what's the point of Hebrews? Is that you can go through suffering because you're part of something much bigger. The kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Okay, and that's a reality now. That's not just when you die you're going to go to heaven. You're part of that now. When you, got, when you got saved and baptized, or however you kind of came into the kingdom, you got a new passport, kingdom of heaven. That, that's your primary citizenship, your primary loyalty. You are that before you're Australian, or whatever other nationality you happen to be. Okay? You are. And if you struggle with that, sorry. But that's the reality. Okay? So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay? That's who he is. He should be honored. He's, in, he's, he's not one of us. He's different from us. Okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, this is the thing that, that tells us what God's heart is and, and therefore how our heart should reflect his. We want your kingdom like it is in heaven to be happening here. We are not satisfied with just having, living in this present evil age. We want your kingdom to invade every part of what we're involved in. Okay? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But then it's a fascinating verse. Give us today everything we need for the future. No, it actually doesn't say that. It says, give us today our daily bread. And, um, and, I, and I'll say with um, incredible gratitude that one of the things I've learned in the last couple of months is that there are times in our life, yes, where we, should, we pray into the future and say, this is our future hope, God, would you speak into that? But more often than not, our prayer should be, God, would you give me today my daily bread? Give us today our daily bread. That's coming to this great high priest whose promises are far superior, whose ability, whose sacrifice, and everything is far superior to anything else and saying, I come to you, I I approach you boldly with full assurance of hope and say, would you give me today my daily bread? Because I need it. You know what? Tomorrow's got enough troubles of its own. I'm not, you know, I, I'd actually, I'd be really grateful if you just kind of dealt with all that stuff as well. But you know what? I don't think I would swap, and, and this is a big call, but I don't think I'd swap the suffering for something and lose the sonship. I'm not sure if I could do that. I think I'd rather have the suffering and the sonship. And that's the deal of Hebrews. What would you rather have? You want your Aussie passport back and give up the other one? Or do you want sonship along with the suffering? Okay, and, and I have to say, I've, 
um, for, for us as a family, for Cindy and I, um, we've discovered something of God's daily bread. That I don't think I've ever experienced before. There are days where I go, God, I need you today, right now. I need wisdom. I need to know what to do. I need you to provide this person, this situation. And he does it day after day after day. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And you, and you finish some days just going, I, I, am, I am assured, not, not of the future in a sense of I know everything's going to be just fine and rosy, but what I am assured of is I'm a son. And I am assured that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will I live it? In the reality of it, one day I will, absolutely. But, I, but, but there will be suffering along the way. That's promised. Okay? And, and you know what? That's the story of Hebrews. That's, that's, what, that's why the writer of Hebrews says here, this is the point of what we are saying. You have a high priest who sits at the right hand he sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Not some bloke wearing weird clothes, covered in blood in a dusty old building in Jerusalem. Uh-uh. You have a great high priest who sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. That's real currency. And that's the real thing. It's not a fake. It's not a copy. That's the real thing. And so, I guess, um, just to wrap it up, you know, what's the message of Hebrews? What's of Hebrews 8? Is um, approach the throne of grace boldly. Don't, don't try and run away from the suffering and the hardship and try and say, God, just deal with it. Get me out of here. No, that's not what he's saying to us. He's saying, you have a great high priest. Come to him. Come to him. He'll give you your daily bread. He'll give you what you need. He'll provide for you. He'll give you the wisdom, the, the, the sense of peace because you're a, part of, you're a citizen of something far greater than what you had before. Okay? And, and, and he does give us what we need to get through. He does. Okay? And, and that's his promise to us. But we've got to be able to take it by faith and go, yes, that's what I'm going to keep doing because it's not always easy. Is that cool? Yeah, that's God's heart for us. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know many of you. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I, I don't know what challenges you're facing right now. I know some of you, and I know some of your challenges. Um, you don't really know me necessarily in the challenges I face. But um, I, I just sense that if, if there's anything that's happening in this season, that's God's coming and saying, "Here's your daily bread. Here it is," and it's more than enough. Um, so I, I just want to pray and uh, maybe I'm, I'm not big on the altar calls and stuff like that but maybe if you find yourself in that place you go okay I kind of need a bit of that maybe I got a bit caught up in my old um, passport and forgotten about this new citizenship that I have and the reality of who Jesus is um, and I, and I want to have a fresh sense of that I want to have this fresh sense of, of sonship or being a daughter when I say son I'm not excluding women I'm including everybody like it's that intimacy as belonging to the Father. And you go, actually, I want a bit of that because I don't feel that right now. Um, then, then stand with me and let's ask for it. Let's, uh, let's respond. So I'm just going to pray. So you, if you want to respond just by praying, as a step, by standing um, as a step of faith, then you go ahead and do that as I pray. Father, uh, here we are. And, um, and I, I don't know that our situation is nearly as desperate as was the Hebrews 
in Hebrews in the first century. I know that their situation was incredibly desperate. But what I do know is that the principle that is taught, the reality, the truth that's taught in this letter is, is truth that's eternal. That the reality right now is that we have a great high priest who has no beginning and no end, who won't die and pass away and be superseded by something else, his sacrifice won't need to be made again for our sin. But he's our high priest who is completely approachable. We can come with boldness to the throne of grace and find all that we need. And for some of us right now, God, what we need is daily bread. Would you give us today our daily bread? Yep, I'd love you to sort the future. But I trust you with the future. Uh, but God, what I need right now is daily bread. Would you come and would you provide that for us? Lord, I just pray for each of us. Lord, give us a, a revelation of sonship. Lord, that's a, um, maybe it's not my place to pray that for everybody because at least biblically speaking, that often comes through hardship and suffering. Uh, and I, I don't want to ask that for anybody. Uh, but, but God, the revelation of sonship is far more valuable than anything we may lose. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, show us, help, find... Lord, help us to find you at that moment. Lord, there are times where maybe we're laying awake at night or we're in the car or wherever, and in a moment of desperation, Lord, remind us that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness because that's the citizenship that we have. That's the high priest we have and that you'll provide all that we need. So I just, I just pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.